Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would, get your Bibles open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. That may have sounded familiar to you because that was where we was at last week too. We actually are just now getting into the part that I was hoping to get to yesterday. Or last week, sorry, not yesterday. So if you remember the sermon uh, a week ago, we talked about uh, relationships and how those, how particular relationships um, are to function under an umbrella of um, authority. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Children are supposed to submit to the authority of their parents. Honor your father and mother. And I'd said last week that this is an area, you can try me in this, and there, there are a few theologians who would disagree with this. <clears throat> the Jews used to be people who would say, um, I am blessing you, mother, because God has first blessed me. In other words, what I do for you, I'm doing for the Lord. And God did not like that. In other words, God is a respecter of honorable persons. In other words, for a mother and a father, for a mother and a father, Jesus says it's okay for you to honor them. Not to say that you're honoring them by listening to me, but honor them on the merits. Because I don't care how terrible a mom may have been. If you're here and you're still alive, as much damage as they may have done, they didn't do a terrible job. Because mothers who do terrible jobs, their kids typically don't survive. Honor your father and your mother. The structure is the authority being accepted under the structure that God had actually put out for us. Now, how easy is it for a child to obey their parents? Is it an easy thing for a kid to do? To just listen to their parents? I mean, historically, in your own life, when you were growing up, or any kid that you've been around or owned, has that been the way that it is? Kids just honor their mom and dads. They just lift them up, put them on that pedestal where they're supposed to be, listen to everything that they say. They don't do it. They don't do it. And what does this create? Creates a situation where the structure is destroyed. What has to happen in a kid's life, as well as what has to happen in a worker's life when they have a boss that's terrible, or they have a parent who's terrible? This morning in Sunday school class, we talked a little bit about biblical worldviews versus just somebody's worldview in, in general. And an individual's worldview is actually created by their experience in their own lives. This is why there are generation gaps. Our experiences as generations have been completely contrary to each other. I'm a Generation Xer. Guess how much I have in common with a millennial? Nothing. Nothing. That was one of the things I said with these young adults down there. I said, you know, I can lead you, and I can provide a structure to this ministry. I can provide a lot of things to it, but one thing I cannot provide is a millennial worldview. Can't do it. My brain can't even go there. I can't even begin to comprehend the way that some of these individuals think. So for me, that's not a slap. They are 
They are a product of their surroundings, their experiences. Now, with every person on the planet, we're doing everything that we can to replace their, their worldview, which is based on all of their experiences, with a biblical worldview. Now, within the biblical worldview of things, in order for us to be individuals who are being sanctified in Christ, we have to elevate the Word of God above every other form of authority in the world. It has to, be, it has to elevate above that. Now, once it does elevate above that, we begin this journey in life that provokes sanctification. Now, this journey, this is what it kind of looks like. We know what we know because we experienced it ourselves. That's hard to beat when it comes to proof, right? I mean, for you having the assurance that what you know you're sure of, you have to really have an experience to be somebody who says, I absolutely know that this is the truth. I've used those experiences, examples in my own life before. When I get hurt, I want to pull back. God says you can't be an effective pastor if you pull back. So I engage, but only halfway. Close enough to maybe affect their world, but keep them out of mine, right? Well, every time that I would move and adjust, then God's going, nope, not close enough. It's still not close enough. It's still not close enough, not close enough, not close enough. Would you just move close enough? And that's because my worldview was affected by me being hurt by people when I got too close. And the only way that Jesus shines in my life is if there's ever a point in my life where I say the authority of the Scripture supersedes the authority of my own experience. Which is what? Faith. It's faith. It's the same thing that says that you believe that a man came back to life from the grave after being dead for three days. It's the same thing that, that helps you to be able to utter with your own lips, Jesus was born of a virgin. Requires the exact same thing. It's a leap. That's why it's not so easy for the world to accept, but it's easier for us to accept. And as we accept it, we begin to replace this worldview based on our experiences with the biblical worldview. And Jesus, if we let him, will eventually get us where he wants us to be in life, in our experiences, in the way we relate to other people, in the ministries that we involve ourselves in. Everything is provoked by us. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This worldview, the renewing of the mind, this, this structure that we've fabricated over the years of our life that have held us back in some areas and has put us out there too far in others. We've been unrestrained, unrestricted. The scripture comes in and Jesus says, I'm going to make you into what I want you to be. And you're not going to mind it. Let me be honest. How many of you who are believers have ever felt conviction of the Holy Spirit, listened to the Holy Spirit, and then regretted it? I can't think of one in my entire lifetime. I can't think of one thing that when I was running around like a wild person as a young teenager... I can't think of one thing that I did back then that I miss. Was it fun? Based on my own worldview, it was. Was it healthy? No, it was not healthy. So 
I used to fear death when I laid my head down on a pillow. In some odd ways, I may pray for it now. See the difference? It's quite a difference, right? This is amazing what the world, what the biblical world view will do for you. It's for it's it's about the difference. It's the difference in us as individuals. How do I say this? Let me just jump to this point. How many of you like to change? On the surface. Again, us being beyond the change point, there's no regrets, right? But how many of you like to change? Holy Spirit comes upon you today and he picks one of the biggest things in your life that you've just been praying that he'd lay off for a while. And he hits that thing. Boom! How do you react to it? Do we, do we tend to be people who celebrate what God's doing in our lives when those things happen? Or do we immediately consider the cost to us? And here's the deal. Everything has a cost. Just like everybody has a leader. Everybody picked a side. The atheists running around out there saying there ain't no God, even he picked a side. Because just because somebody says there ain't no God doesn't make it so. And the most rude awakening on the planet is these people running around all the time saying there ain't no God, ain't no God, ain't no God. And I'm supposed to be the guy that's running around saying, hey, say that again when you're standing in front of him. Because it's going to be a whole lot harder for you to swallow God ain't real when you're standing there looking him in the face and he's going... God is real. And it's hard to be a Christian. And this this transition from the worldview based on experience to this biblical worldview that's based solely on Scripture, that's a painful transition. Because what put me where I was at? Pain. Pain put me where I was at. Anybody here like to hurt? Once you genuinely experience pain, we tend to not be people who return to the exact same thing that caused it. Am I right? By nature, we do not want to hurt. Until that biblical worldview comes in and takes up, it's hard. Because the person who's mean to you, you don't get to be mean back. And there's reasons for this. Why does Jesus say, turn the other cheek? Why does he tell us to love our enemies? Why does he tell us as individuals that we need to make everybody else first? What's fair about that? Do you ever want to regain focus? All you have to do is read Ephesians chapter 6. Because it tells us about the struggle, which is those first nine verses, right? The struggle is between parent and child, between employee and employer. The struggles in those authorities, they make life hard. We're our own authority. We struggle with the authority that God has. God tells us to do something. We're all just immediate, aren't we? We, we actually are so obedient to God, we just make our head spin. We do it so fast. It usually takes at least the third or fourth swat, right? We are not very good at listening to him 
But when we do end up listening to him, how does it turn out? Better than we could have ever imagined. So we turn around two weeks later, it happens again, and what do we do? The same thing. Could you imagine how hair-pulling it would have to be to be God? To, 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 to be up there and to look down on this planet and all of his omniscience and all of his omnipresence, why does he not have my bald spots from doing this all the time? I know I crack him up. I know I do. I hear him laugh at me. With me, however it is. Because that's the kind of God that he is. And here's the deal. If he expects us to travel such rough waters, do we really think that he has not given us what we need to protect us in that journey? Now, I believe wholeheartedly that on some level, we believe he can't. Because if we're not sharing the gospel, why? Because your God's not bigger than a mean comment that somebody may say to you. That's why. Why don't you hold people accountable when you see them in sin? What are we trying to preserve? The conflict's real. And I'm here to tell you, as a guy who's been involved with it for over 30 years, it will beat you to death. It'll beat you to death. I drove a truck, a tractor trailer for almost 10 years of my life. If someone asked me right now, which of the two was the easiest to do, which do you think it was? Jamming gears are pretty easy. And I'll tell you what, all of these lost construction company owners out there, they're nicer than most Christians I've ever met. So how? How do you stay in as a pastor? Not just as a pastor. How do you stay in as a deacon? How do you stay in as a church member just being constantly bombarded by everything in the world? Because we're an emotional mess. The point is to make us an emotional mess. The point is for us to choose different loyalties and allegiances, to pull us off of track of the focus of what it is that we're supposed to be on. All of this is confusion. And who's the author of confusion? Satan's the author of confusion. And who's the father of lies? Satan's the father of lies. So why do we continue to follow a liar when the one who gave his life to us is the one who is the truth? So here's what he says. I know it's going to be rough on you. He said this. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, who wants to finish it for me, will be persecuted those who desire to live godly in christ jesus will be persecuted the conflict inside of us just in the fallen nature and the holy spirit trying to take control paul talked about it it was the greatest struggle in paul's life that struggle between the spirit and the flesh he spends quite a bit of time talking about it and that's the fight that we're in so how, how do we defend ourselves in a world that is continually bombarding us from every direction, trying to confuse us and lying to us? And here we are in Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
this we're gonna we're gonna snail through this i hope i can get through this quite a bit today but we're gonna snail through this be strong in the lord and the strength of his might what's the difference between being strong in the lord and the strength of his might and being strong in the lord and the strength of yours see here's a problem <clears throat> do you have a limit to your patience does jesus have a limit to his patience so in that instant, who's in control? Is he? If Jesus is in control of my life, but I know apart from Jesus, I have, I have a limit to my patience, right? Jesus comes into my life, what happens to my limit to patience? I'm not allowed to have it anymore. I'm commanded to be patient, right? So being strong in the Lord and the strength of his might is something entirely different than being strong in the Lord and the strength of yours. Because if I say, if I say that there is a point at any point in my life that I can be pushed to, then I'm in control. But if I say I can see from a distance what Satan's trying to do, he's manipulating circumstances. I begin to see the world instead of it being me versus other people it's me versus who the scripture says and the power that i fight against is a supernatural power amen and guess what you need to fight a supernatural power yeah an all natural power an all powerful power which is stronger than supernatural but the exact same point why do you suppose that that uh, gabriel or was it michael when they went after the body of Moses, why do you suppose when Satan was there to snatch his body, the angel just picked up Moses' body, turns to Satan, and he goes, Jesus curse you, and he turned around and walked off. That was the only thing he said. He didn't pull his sword. He didn't cut his head off. He, didn't, he probably could have took him. Both archangels, right? But one of them worked for God still, right? He probably could have took him. Boy, he could have solved us all a lot of problems, couldn't he? But he didn't assume that authority. God said, go get me the body of Moses. So what did he go do? He didn't say, go get the body of Moses and give Satan a black eye. He didn't tell him to do that. He said, go get the body of Moses. So he goes to get the body of Moses. And I can imagine Satan standing there going, dirtbag, taking my body, traveled all this way, and you're going to make me turn around empty-handed. Because the, the angel just goes, the Lord Jesus curse you. Just turn around and walk away. Is there anything better you can say? Here's the deal, folks. If, if we're going to dabble in the powers of the supernatural, you better be ready for what you're about to go into. Because as much light, power, and strength there is in there, there's also an awful lot of darkness, an awful lot of weakness. We are spiritual human beings living in a physical world we are oppressed by the physical things in this world and all of those pressures are being relieved in us through the culmination of this relationship with jesus christ which means we no longer can function in our own strength because if we do, we'll fall short. We're going to get exhausted. We're going to get burnt out. I tell people all the time, if you have a healthy relationship with Jesus, I believe this wholeheartedly, you have a healthy relationship with Jesus, you are beyond burnout. 
Why? How much of your strength are you using if your relationship with Jesus is strong? Why do you think Paul said his strength is perfect when mine's gone? He said, I glory in my weakness because it's the weakness that Jesus shines. You don't see Jesus in the strength of human beings. He, has, he wants nothing to do with human beings who think that they have strengths. Because he knows exactly how weak they are. All of us. If you're going to serve the Lord in life, just through every step that you take, then we have to know first that we aren't limited by our strength or the strength of another human, be human being. We're connected to the limitless source of power. So unless we fall off of that wagon, where does patience stop? Doesn't. Where does compassion stop? Doesn't. Where does the gospel stop? It doesn't. Because it's no longer about us. It stops being about us. It says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Talked a little bit about how he's a little trickster. Tries to manipulate people and making them actually believe that reality around them is not what it is or that the reality around them is what it is, whichever way that that plays out for him. When he says, put on the full armor of God, um, Roman, arm, Roman soldiers, this is the context that this is putting this in, is the, the, the armor that a Roman soldier would have wore at the time. Okay, Who can tell me what pieces of armor stayed on all day? It's an interesting little history thing. Or maybe it'd be easier to answer it this way. Which three pieces did they not have on all day? Out of all six pieces of armor, how many pieces did they not wear all day? Including their weapon. They wore their boots. They wore the breastplate. And they wore the belt. That's all they wore. They didn't wear the helmet, they didn't carry the shield, and they didn't carry the sword. The helmet, the sword, and the shield were only called up to be put into, in, into play when a battle was drawn. What's that verse say? Does it say put on half of it? Just in case there's a battle? So you're half ready just in case there's a battle? What are your chances that you're going to be in a spiritual battle if you're a Christian? They are guaranteed. Guaranteed. You don't know where it's going to come from. It could come from your family. It could come from somebody closest to you. It could come from your biggest enemy. You have no idea where it's going to come from. But as long as Satan is the prince and the power of the air of this world, it's coming from somewhere. Because he's not going to just let up. Now, I've encouraged people by letting them know this. I've told a half dozen people this last two months. And I say it all the time to myself. I just wish Satan would leave me alone. Just wish you to be alone. But then it dawned on me one day, I believe it was the Lord that revealed this to me. He said, hey, Satan's not me. I'm like, well, I know that. And it's not like a dummy. He goes, he's not omnipresent. 
I was like, oh, wait, that means that Satan can't be everywhere at the same time. He also is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. So literally, when Satan is bugging you, guess what he has to do? He has to leave everybody else alone. Do we wake up in the morning, honestly, and, and just say, boy, I really hope that the devil don't try to get me today? Because I can tell you, you're, the disappointment removed from the scenario when you decide that you trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior is a commitment that you've made. If it costs you your life, it's a commitment that you've made. Guarantee that you're going to get attacked. So why would you get up in the morning just in case there's a battle, only protect your feet, your chest, which is important, right? These are vitals. You've got lots of vitals in this area, right? And the belt that ties it all up. Now, we're going to look into these very specifically in a little bit. But I believe that the point to him saying, put on the full armor of God, battle is every day, folks. It's every day. And if you aren't fighting a spiritual battle every day, then you're nowhere near the front line. Don't take any offense to that. I'm just telling you that if you are standing in life as a Christian and you don't hear gunfire, you are nowhere near the war. Nowhere near it. It's the same thing. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Are you being persecuted? The answer is no. He'll be the logic. Why? Maybe the lack of a desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Because if he says you will be persecuted if you live this way and you're not being persecuted, then you're not living that way. Schemes. Wiles. He's a trickster. Without that armor, you can't stand against the schemes of the devil. You notice the word firm in there? Stand firm. You know what Roman soldiers used to do? They used to put nails in the bottoms of their boots. What do you think that we came up with in this modern day from that? <laughs> Cleats, spikes, other people may call them, for football. And guess what those provide you the ability to do? Stick you to the ground, don't they? And if Roman soldiers were all lined up shoulder to shoulder in a long line, and every one of them had them spikes in their boots, they put their shields forward, they plant their feet, guess how hard they are to move? It's his point. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm, so that you have spikes in the dirt. In most cases with everybody, who I know most people who are believers in Jesus Christ, and they're individuals that if Satan walked by and blew on them, maybe they'd fall over. Stand firm, they don't even see him coming. You don't wake up in the morning, the only people that need armor is the people who are going to be in a war. If you're a Christian, again, and you don't think that you're in a war, look around. Maybe when AWOL, it's a possibility. The fight got a little bad, so somebody jumped the fence and ran. It's a possibility. Put it all on. So that. You know what that says? If you don't put it all on, guess what you can't do? Half's not enough. One's not enough. Two's not enough. And we're going to actually take a look at what that actually leads into the rest of this description. Verse 12. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do you ever think about this? Do you ever get mad at a president for signing an abortion bill? Senator? Congressman? Woman? Whatever they may be? That person who says something that's mean to you? Or even physically hurts you? They're not under their own, they're not under their own control. Those guys who are running into churches, massacring people who actually trusted in Jesus Christ so they could keep their church exclusive? Do they get responsibility for their involvement in the action? Absolutely. God will hold them to it. But what does that say specifically? If, if, if our struggle is not against flesh and blood, what is that saying? Yep. We don't struggle against the embodiment of the person that's providing the spiritual warfare. We don't see individuals as bad individuals. We see them as misled individuals. Yeah, their actions may be horrific. But somewhere along the line, they learned to do what they're doing with no idea that the entire point was for Satan to win in that person's life. There's a lot of enemies in that. And they're not all the same. Rulers, a president. Joe Biden doing all these executive orders. Just look at the suppression he's putting on the church. How much power do you think Joe Biden has? Only as much as God gives him. That's all he has. He's being manipulated by the World Economic Forum. He's being manipulated by the powers that be in other countries all over the place. You can chase it to the World Economic Forum. Those jokers. These guys who think it's a good idea to be able to control you at a push of a button. They're not the enemy. The enemy is the spirit of the Antichrist. The enemy is Satan himself, the prince and the power of the air of this world. He's manipulating everybody. He's manipulating you. You're a believer in Jesus. He's still manipulating you. Because as long as he can manipulate people in your life or circumstances in your life, he's manipulating you. So just, just because you trusted in Jesus don't mean that you're untouchable. And anyone who's a believer can prove that, Amen. Because just because we're believers don't mean that we don't fail. Just because we're believers don't mean we don't make mistakes. Just because we're believers. The Bible tells us the truth. And if we can look at the truth and see that that person who was mean to you at Walmart's not your enemy. That police officer who pulled you over with an attitude's not your enemy. That politician who's signing abortion laws into law is not your enemy. Because if we start seeing people as our enemy, then guess who we're going to hate? And what happens when the people who are supposed to love people to Jesus instead have trapped themselves into hate? Satan wins yet another battle because he will pull those individuals straight to the pits of hell with him.
This also makes it a little bit more scary if you think about it. And I say scary because... You see the last part? I mean, the rest of it's scary. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Demonic stuff. Not just stuff like the demon whispered in your child's ear to lie about eating that cookie out of the cookie jar. But demons that provoke people to murder, to commit incest, to be pedophiles. Those demons. Did you ever think about, when I played basketball, Believe it or not, I, I've actually grown a little bit since I lost all this weight. I don't know if I was just so heavy, I was scrunching myself all my joints down. I don't know what's going on. When I was in basketball, being the tallest guy on the team, the center, published in St. Louis newspapers every week for the points, rebounds, and block shots, how many times do you think I walked on a basketball court without some student's idea that he was going to take me out? All the time. I knew how they were going to try to do it. I knew about when they were going to try to do it. They were going to try to take me out. Why? How much does it change the game when you take a six foot six center out of the off the team? How much does it change the game? How much value do you place on the gift that God's given you? And don't answer that out loud. How much value do you place on the gift that God gave you? And how much do you think it costs the kingdom and the church if Satan's able to take you out of the game? And he'll use everything, folks. This is not people again. People are not this creative. This is Satan. And he is looking at things under a telescope, a microscope, trying to figure out ways to manipulate your life to have some type of anxiety or hatred against God. And he's convinced so many people in this world that that's true. Go speak the name of Jesus in the general public. You will eventually find someone that will lash out at you about it. And this has never made any sense to me. Everybody's dying. Amen? Jesus comes to bring eternal life. Punch him in the nose. He ought to know better. How's this any different than some guy crawling across the Sahara Desert, dying of thirst, and some dude walk up on him with a gallon of clean, cold water, and him stand up, punch them in the nose, dump the water out in the sand, and continue to crawl off to their death. Because that's what it is. Oh, we can't have Jesus being talked about in schools. No, we don't want kids treating their elders with respect. We don't want them not having desires of murdering their classmates. We don't want them to tell the truth to their teachers. They'd be horrible. What's the problem? I don't understand the problem. The problem is common sense has nothing to do with it. Satan's sense is not common. 
He's creative and he will wiggle his way into every gap of your life that he can get into for the sole purpose of trying to push you off course. And anyone in this church can look back and see exactly when he did it. We're all in that same boat because we all have that same experience. We don't fight people. We fight things that are much, much more powerful. Verse 13, Therefore take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. You got a ball game. Whatever you may have played. Did you start your season just trying to get by? Just want to make it to the clock. Fill a slot on the team. No aspirations or expectations of, of greater, grander things. You're a whole lot better prepared when you take what's coming more seriously. And I want you to hear me, folks, because it seems to me that there's an awful lot of people in this world that have their ears turned off. They shut their eyes down. They're turning away from everything that's going on in the world. And the things that are going on in the world right now are very significant when it comes to the things that the Bible's speaking about. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. What's the chances that you're going to make it to the evil day? Welcome. You've arrived. As life gets harder and morality slips off and people continue to go further and further down the rabbit hole, life continues to morally fall off. You take up the full armor of God because I can guarantee you if you carry it, you're going to need it. You're going to need it. He says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. How many of you guys have ever tried, attempted something, tried it, and it failed? And you sit back and you say, boy, I sure wish that I would have did this different." Boy, I wish that I would have tried harder in this area. Boy, I wish that I... How many of you guys have ever looked at something and regretted it? This is him. Look at, look at what he's saying. So that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. A lot of people like to put a comma there. There's actually a period there in the Bible. Because the next verse, you'll kind of see why a lot of people think there's a comma there. Stand firm. When it's all over, Guess what you get to say? If you use the full armor of God, I did everything to stand that could be done. You ever see we ran on a battlefield without a metal, without a plate, without body armor? Why do you suppose every military person that runs into a battlefield has body armor on? if they're on a battlefield and they're running into an area where they know that there are enemies, what's the chances they're going to get shot at? Pretty high, right? 
When you wake up in the morning, do you dress spiritually as if you're someone who knows that today you're going to get shot at? Because here's the deal. The things that want to damage you in your life, it really stinks to look back and go, oh, I wish I'd have did that different. This is literally God saying, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. He's saying, you be ready for this day because the day's coming. And if you put on that full armor of God, then you will have absolutely done everything that you could to stand. And if you really put on the full armor, stand you will. What does the word stand mean? I'm standing. It's not what it means. It's talking about you not being pushed from the truth. Standing firm in the physical sense with the Roman soldiers with the nails in his shoes, in the spiritual sense, standing firm means I don't budge on the virgin birth. I don't budge on the resurrection. I don't budge on Jesus being the only way. I will not budge on the things that are absolutes of the faith. And if we have the full armor of God on and, and, and combat comes and begins to beat on our armor where most individuals will turn around, turn tail, and run out of the battle, the Christian will stand and say, I'm holding my position on salvation. I'm holding my position on Jesus. I'm holding my position on truth. And I don't care if you even take me out. It won't change my standing firm. What kind of shape would the world be in today if Christians were more immovable? If we wasn't so easy to make a deal with? We have effectively made abortion illegal across this country. Amen? you think the murder of babies is going to stop? Just because a law is made, even enforced, doesn't mean that evil is going to quit. Evil's evil. Leave it to its, leave it to itself for a while. It'll eat, it'll eat itself because it always does. I think I used the example once before. It may be on a Bible study. You familiar with the LBT, LBGTQ, ABC, F? What's the B stand for? What does the T stand for? So, a transsexual organization is admitting in the very second letter of their name that there is only two genders. Because if there's more than two genders, how can anybody be bi? Wouldn't it be tri or quai? Evil will eat itself. Leave it to its own wiles. Let, let it run its course. It'll eat itself. Satan thinks he controls time. That's laughable. Satan thinks he's in control. He thinks that even though he failed the first time in trying to take God's throne, that he's going to pull this one out in the ninth inning. 
He's that pugnacious. He is that full of himself. And all he wants to do is destroy. How do you get out of that? The full armor of God. Looks like this is going to turn into a four-week sermon series. Let me sum this one up with this. Every one of us that are in this place know how real the threat is from Satan. We've seen him in our own individuals' lives. We've seen him in the lives of other uh, of other people. We've seen the destructive nature of everything that he does. And if God has truly given us the perfect exosuit, the suit that gives us the ability to protect our heart, to protect our mind, that gives us the ability to prepare ourselves for something we're about to need to run to or run from, with the ability to stand when we need to, run when we have to, and every one of these qualities and characteristics that I will spend an ample amount of time going through each one of them, Every one of these pieces of armor provides you with a level of protection when it comes to you walking around this world as a Christian. And if you leave the helmet home, your mind is susceptible. Leave the breastplate home, your chest, your heart is susceptible. Leave the shoes at home, you'll end up in places you shouldn't be. Every one of these things have a purpose. And the one thing that I've seen as a pastor that I've prayed more than anything else that would happen for every person that I've come across is that individuals have the ability to break the chains, the chains that Satan has bound them with based on their circumstances of life, and that they may truly know what freedom is. Me and my little brother, we used to fish this dry creek about a half mile to a mile walk to this creek and it was easier for us to cut across this guy's field cut almost a quarter of a mile off the trip cut across this guy's field walking across this guy's field one day he's shooting at us I'm carrying a fishing pole seems like pretty stiff consequences doesn't it carrying a fish two, two 12 13 year old boys walking across the field with a fishing pole guess what I didn't come prepared for being shot at when I'm going fishing in a creek with a fishing pole I didn't plan on being shot when I was going fishing. I mean, you'd think of, you go deer season, you're going to climb up in a tree somewhere, you're going to sit and wait. There's a possibility you'd get shot, right? But you put a fishing pole over your shoulder and have a tackle box hanging off your back walking across the field. Last thing in the world you think is going to happen, you're going to get shot. As soon as those bullets went off, you know what I wish I had? Some armor. <laughs> wish I had some. Tomorrow, are you going to walk into it? Well. You should. Next day, you're going to walk into it? So the question is really this. When you do, are you going to be expecting it? Is it going to scatterbrain you? Are you going to be shocked and startled and run? Haunted houses. Ever been in one? You know what gives those guys such a big kick? when the little girls and the little boys scream and run out of the building with their arms flailing. Did you ever see what one does to you if you just stand there? Don't react, you don't jump, you don't run away, you don't scream. 
yeah, you're no fun anymore. If you can't be manipulated, you're no fun. They're going to move on to someone that can be manipulated because they're more fun. Devil's no different. Again, I told you, he only has a limited amount of resources to invest in, in all of his stuff. If he's got all of these people in the world that he can manipulate, and he's got people in the world that he could manipulate but are going to be harder to manipulate, where's he putting his resources? You think he's going to put his resources into a place where a person can't be manipulated? No, he's going for the weak ones. He's going for the ones that had the anxiety problems. He's going for the ones that don't trust Jesus. He's going for the ones that cannot understand what God brings to the table. So I tell people all the time, yes, Satan will, he'll come around once in a while, slap you in the face on the way by. But he will attack you, and he'll attack you face forward. And until you convince him that you're a waste of time, he's not going to move on. He's not moving on. He's there to create chaos in your life. If he can create the chaos in your life, why should he leave? That's his playground. Full armor of God. Put it on. Taking a shower. Put it on! Because it's not physical. It's spiritual. Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, He came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask Him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Barron. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.